Welcome to the Hope Unlimited Church Podcast. We are so honored to connect with you, and we pray that you will be encouraged and inspired by this week's message. And uh, it's going to be powerful. All right, grab your Bible. Go with me to the book of Proverbs, chapter number 25. I'm going to read only one verse to you. The book of Proverbs, chapter number 25. I've been teaching this month on uh, marriage and relationships. I've been teaching a series called Hashtag Relationship Goals. You know what that is when you see the old couple walking down the mall and they're holding hands and you get all the feels. Every time my wife sees an old couple, she's like, oh, that's going to be us. I told you this a couple of weeks ago, right? Of course, the husband's always decrepit and can barely get around. She's like, oh, that's going to be us. That's you. That's you. Like, he can't walk. Oh, it's so cute. She's got to take care of him. I'll say some other stuff, but I won't. Go to uh, uh, Proverbs chapter number 25, and we're going to read one verse, chapter number 28. Now, you better help me preach this this morning. I, I, I ain't preaching to, to myself. I already know all this, so I want you to get with me. You ready? Yes. I said you ready? Yes. There's going to be, and I'm gonna, I've been working on it since we planted the church, and I'm going to continue to work on it. And people have always told me, well, it's just not a Knoxville thing, to which I respond, I don't really care. <clears throat> that it's not a Knoxville thing. I believe that when the word of God gets preached, you make a demand on it. You make a demand on it. It's like Jesus passing through the crowd and the woman making a demand on the anointing that's on his life. They're making a demand on the gift. Whenever you are in a service, not just here but anywhere, and the word of God is being preached, it is your response. It's, it's not just the preacher's responsibility to be anointed to say it. It's our responsibility as listeners to be anointed to hear it. And we do that by making a demand on the word of God. Are you with me? I said, are you with me? Preaching is not a monologue. Preaching is not, I sit here and tell you what I think. Preaching is a dialogue. Right? If you don't know this, I don't don't have time to teach a class on preaching. But if you don't know this, whenever you're preaching, a lot of times it is the response of the people that will tell you where you need to land. Because when you start hitting on something, sometimes you'll breeze over a point that wasn't even your main point. But when you touch on it, the audience reacts. And that's God saying, this is where you need to drill down because this is what is speaking to the people. But we never get there if people don't respond to the preaching of the word of God. Come on, somebody. Don't be white on me this morning. Come on, somebody. You with me? (laughs) Don't get me started. All right. Proverbs 25, verse number 28. He that has no rule over his own spirit is like a city that is broken down without walls. Don't you hate that verse? I hate that verse. He, uh, it's a joke. He that has no rule over his own spirit is like a city that is broken down without walls. He that has no rule over his own spirit is like a city that's broken down without walls. I taught, I guess, uh, last week I, I began, I introduced the message by saying this. When God put Adam and Eve... In the garden, God gave them two assignments. This was, this was two assignments. I want you to dress it, and I want you to keep it. Another translation says, I want you to cultivate it, and I want you to guard it. You have to tend to it, and you have to protect it. So we talked for two weeks on how to tend to it. We talked for two weeks on how to cultivate it. We talked for two weeks on how to meet each other's needs and how to communicate and what to do when your expectations and your realities are not the same thing. And then last week, we stopped talking about cultivating it and we started talking about protecting it. 
You remember that? When we talked about putting guardrails around your emotions and putting guardrails around your friendships because I have seen friendships destroy marriages. And I don't necessarily mean friendships with the opposite sex. I mean friendships with the same sex. I've seen it destroy marriages because you have a married person that will befriend a single person and the single person is a man hater or believes that women should be subservient and they have a low view of marriage already and they woo the spouse away into this life of freedom and bliss and it ends up destroying their life. You have to put your guardrails up around that. Are you all with me this morning? Now, I want to tell you this. I, want to, I, I, I learned this this week. I was studying to, and preparing for this, and I found this statistic out. This is absolutely amazing. 86%, 86% of divorces that happen in America happen because of non-severe circumstances. They just happen. People just get frustrated, and they get fed up, and they fall out of love. So they give up on the marriage because all the feels ain't there anymore. It's like selling a car because it ran out of gas. You with me? Y'all, I'm telling you, y'all got to help me preach this morning. 86%. Now, there are people, I don't know everybody's story in here. I know there are people that have been married, people that are single, people that are engaged, people that have come through Trying circumstances, people that have been through divorces. I was, I was, uh, I was, I grew up in a broken home. My mother was married four separate times. I know, ex- I know the divorce thing all too well. And when you get into the Bible, there's really only three biblical reasons your Bible gives you for divorce. Is it gonna get weird in here now? Okay, I like the awkwardness. I thrive in it. There are three biblical reasons for divorce. Number one, adultery. Because that is a pain that you don't know anything about till you've been there. And when you have a friend walking through it and you pipe off talking about, well, I'll tell you what I'll do. You don't have a clue what you would do. You ain't got the foggiest notion of what you would do. The breaking of a covenant is so painful that Jesus even said, you might not be able to recover from it and it's okay. So adultery. Number two, abuse, right? Abuse. And I don't mean he said he didn't like your cornbread. That's not verbal abuse. <laughs> you with me? He don't like my cooking. I can't live in this. Get over it. Take a Martha Stewart class if you have to, but that's not. I got to help myself. I can already tell. That's not, a, but abuse is a legitimate reason to leave, right? It's a deal breaker. Number three, Paul calls it abandonment. If the unbelieving depart, let them depart. I have seen, I have seen dear, dear Christians who were married for a season, and then one spouse gets it in their mind that they're done for whatever reason, for for no justifiable reason whatsoever, and they just end up and they leave. They leave. They give up. They leave. And no matter what the spouse that's standing and believing God for, no matter what they do, no matter how they respond, no matter how hard they pray, the, the, the spouse that walked away is never coming back. Paul says, you're not under bondage in those cases. Okay? But because we don't get along like we used to, that doesn't count. Because his mama gets on my nerves, that doesn't count. 
And I hear people all the time use this foolish language. Well, he just wants us to be happy. I promise you, going through a divorce will not make you happy. It's the most devastating, painful experience you've ever witnessed in your life. It looks like the easy way out. There is a way that seems right to man, but the end thereof is death. Are you... And so he's saying, if you don't learn, if you do not predecide, if you have no rule over your own spirit, if you don't make the decision in advance that I'm not giving up, then you are like a city broken down with no walls. The enemy can come in. The enemy can come out. He can traffic in and out of your life as much as he wants because you have no control over your spirit. You have no control of the, the 86% over non-severe issues. That means they're getting divorced over their uh, thoughts on parenthood. They're getting divorced over money. They're getting divorced over sexual misunderstanding and differences in their sexual needs. And none of it is a legitimate way out. I, See, this, I'm telling you, man, even when you say this, this culture is so lax when it comes to the marriage covenant. We are so lax when it comes to, it's not that y'all got married and decided to have some kids. You made a covenant before God. And when you don't feel the love bubbling up on the inside of you the way you did when you first saw her at 17, then you still need to remember I'm drawing on the covenant. Even if there's no feeling left, I made a covenant and I'm going to honor my covenant. And if it's going to be broken, it's not going to be me that broke it. Amen. See, people don't like this because, like, well, you don't know. You don't. I've been doing this for over twenty years. There is nothing you can tell me that will not that will surprise me. And the divorces I have seen more divorces in church that are needless and foolish and unbelievable. I had a dear friend recently, a dear friend, a man of God. If you knew him, if you knew him, if, or if I said his name, everybody in here would know know him. Everybody in here would know him. He was a precious man of God, powerful, anointed, traveling the world in ministry. His wife left him, was unfaithful to him. He believed God and believed God and believed God and was trusting God. And she got caught up in this other relationship where she was living this free, exciting, wonderful life. She ends up divorcing him. They're having to divide the assets, fight over the kids, the whole bit. It's absolutely horrible. He moves on and gets remarried and does it right. I saw, a, I saw something on social media last week. The man that she had given herself to and it detonated her family for, they're over. Who saw that coming? If they will do it with you, they will do it to you. I want to ask people sometimes, this is just my, I want to ask people sometimes, does it feel good being the other woman? Does it feel good being the other man? Because you know it's not going to last, right? It's all getting weird in here again. Everybody getting uneasy. Go back to the Bible. There are some things in your marriage, there are some walls you have to build around it where you have to pre-decide this is how we're going to do life. Okay, can I give you a couple? Number one, these are all very practical, very practical. This, again, this is a note-taker's paradise, right? People don't write notes in church. They type, right? So get your notes out. Get your notes app out. Number one, 
You have to establish this in your marriage now. And if you've been married five minutes, it's easy. 20 years and three kids later. Right? Aging parents, broke, no retirement, frustrated, hate my job, living in a house I don't like, you still got to do this. Number one, do not ever, ever threaten divorce. Do not ever threaten to leave. It is the ultimate manipulation. It's the ultimate manipulation. You are throwing a tantrum when you do that. And you are putting your marriage in jeopardy and you don't even know it because you got heated in a moment. You're fed up and I'm going to push you and I'm going to show you. Bless God, I'll walk out. What you going to do one day if she says, okay? Had a, had a uh, dear couple of friend, a uh, couple of ours. They're friends of ours. They're, they've been married longer than I've been alive. They're just an amazing couple. And I love sitting down and listening to people that have been married for an extended period of time. I love hearing their stories about the first couple of years they were married. They're so much fun to listen to. And you look back on it, you're like, man, we've come such a long way. Me and Lindsay do that. We haven't been married too terribly long. We've been married 14 years, and we do that. Like our, our first, our, we got married on Valentine's Day 2005. Right? And uh, I remember we got married and we were all excited. And the very first, the very first Valentine's Day, our, our one-year anniversary, we were so broke. You know what we did for our anniversary? She made dinner. That's it. For Christmas, we went and cut a tree out of the woods and she hung candy canes on it. And the candy canes were a splurge. But you look back on that and you're like, oh, something happens to you as a unit, as a couple, when you come through those things. When you're so broke you can't even pay attention, right? Something good happens to you. And I was listening to this married couple of, uh, that are friends of ours. They said when we first got married, she, we'd been married two, three months, and we got in an argument over ice cream. And this lady, his wife, who is a phenomenal woman of God, just a tremendous woman of God, she said, I got so mad I didn't know what to do. So I told him, if you do it again, I'm leaving. Ice cream. Ice cream. They're wonderful. They're, they're, they're like the paragon of a good marriage today, but I love this story. Got, married over, got mad over ice cream. Said, I'm leaving. He said, well, be careful. She said, now, wait a second. He said, where are you going? I'm going to mama's house. Oh, right. Mama live up the street. I'm going to mama's house. I'm going to tell her. He said, okay. So she picks her keys up. I said, I'm leaving. All right, sweetie. He's watching, he's watching football. That's fine, babe. The manipulation isn't working. Then she's opening the door. I'm gone. I'll see you in the morning, sweetheart. Have a good night. She goes and she sits in her car for two hours. Don't even start it. Walks back in. I'm sorry. When, when people do that, you ever seen those young girls, those young 15-year-old girls whose boyfriend breaks up with them so they threaten to commit suicide? And they'll take a bottle of pills because you broke my heart. That's the same thing adults do when they say, I'm going to leave if you do it again. You never threaten divorce. No matter what we go through, the relationship is never on the table for any reason. Are you with me this morning? That is something you have to pre-decide. We will go through hell and back, but 
if we go through hell and back, we're going to go through it together. The relationship never gets put on the table. No matter how bad you make me, no matter how frustrated I get, you never put it on the table. Can I get a witness from somebody? Number two, you never go. This is so hard, so hard. You never go to bed angry. Oh, God. Because right? 11 p.m. and night's a good time to have a fight. You're tired and you're wore out and you're irritable. You were fine all throughout the day. But now, and when you go to bed on anger, you wake up bitter. Never trust your emotions when you know they are laced with bitterness. Never trust your thinking. Never trust your words when they are laced with bitterness. Because bitterness has a way of blinding you to reality. Right? Let not the sun go down on your wrath. <laughs> it's funny because at my house, when if we get in an argument, which we don't really ever argue, ever, um, but if we get in an argument, the longer the night goes on, the more humble I become. Right? Like at 6 p.m., we can throw down. 9 p.m., I'm running out of steam. 11 p.m., you're right, I'm wrong, I'm sorry, I repent. Can we please go to bed? So that's a strategy, women. If you'll just keep him up, you'll win. Never go to bed on anger. I preached this to you before. Because when you do, you're, you open your heart for the enemy to accuse your spouse to you. You ever went to bed angry? Have you ever noticed how you feel the next morning? You feel defiled. You feel grieved. You didn't sleep good. You didn't rest well. Because there's something here that we didn't deal with. And I don't care how late we got to stay up. We're not going to bed with this. We don't get to do this. Sometimes you need to look at your husband or your wife and you say, look, we don't get to do this because this isn't who we are. Amen. Are y'all with me? We don't get to act this way. We don't get to go to bed angry and wake up and be frustrated and not speak to each other all day long and not text each other all day long and not call each other all day long and then roll up into church on Sunday and slap on our Christian face and talking about freedom or the spirit of the Lord is there. We don't get to do that. That's not who we are because your kids can see through that junk. Amen. Our kids know it is mommy and daddy versus you. It's never us versus one another. We are a united front. That's why you can't argue in front of your kids because it changes who they are. Kids are a blank slate that you write on every day. I don't care if they're 7 or 17. And the way you conduct yourself, it is changing who they are. Are y'all with me? I'll, I'll go on. Y'all didn't like that one. I'll go. Maybe you'll like this one. No, you ain't going to like this one. I'll go ahead and tell you that. Number three, never in marriage. And if you disagree, I can't force you to be right. You'll catch that in a minute. 
never agree to disagree. Do you hear that? Did y'all hear that pin drop? If we had not drowned all the crickets, we could hear the crickets. You don't get to agree to disagree. Because marriage is the longest journey you'll ever take together. And when two of you are pulling in opposite directions, conflict's going to follow you the rest of your life. And it'll wear you out. Everything in your marriage has to be negotiated. Mm. Uh. But what about wife submit to the husband? <laughs> and what about husband love the wife? And gave himself up for the church. Everything in your life is up for negotiation. Where you work, who your friends are, where you live. If my wife was uncomfortable with a friend of mine, I would never even ask questions. I would cut it off immediately. If you're uncomfortable with it, then we're done. There's not, a, there's not even, I don't even need an explanation. It's over. Because we're not going to agree to disagree. And I'm not going to have people in my life that you're uncomfortable with because we cannot go anywhere if we're pulling in opposite directions. So no matter what, I don't care if we got to go to counseling. I don't care if we got to sit down with the pastor. I don't care if we got to read a book together. I don't care how much conversation it takes. We've got to find a place of agreement. We don't get to just say, well, that's what you think and this is what I think and we're just going to live lives. That's the beginning of you turning your hearts away from each other and you don't even know it. Over the smallest things, over the most minute issues, people get divorced over where the husband wants to work versus where the wife wants to work or where the husband wants to live versus where the wife wants to live and I don't think we're going to make it. Are you kidding me? In marriage, you, you have a choice to make. You can either be happy or you can be right. Do you want to be right all the time or do you want to be happy? Because if you want joy and peace, there's some stuff you just have to, you have to surrender your right to be right all the time. We have an eight-year-old daughter. She's the most precious, wonderful, unbelievable thing in the world. But she's going, kids, when they hit six, seven, eight, nine years old, their brain begins to develop a certain capacity to uh, formulate arguments. And hers is real good. And she's one of those people, she has to have the last word. You ever, you ever met those people? No matter what. You ever seen those on Facebook all the time? No matter, <laughs> they have to have the last word. I'm going to be right. I'm going to be right. You'll tell somebody on something on Facebook, well, this is what the Bible says. They have to have the last word. Well, that's what you think. You're like, <laughs> that's what the Bible, it's not what I think. That's what Paul said. You ever met those people? When you get that level of conflict and contention in your marriage, you begin to pull apart. And when you think that's okay and when that's healthy and we have just come to, to grips in our life that they're going to believe that and I'm going to believe this, it's not going to work. You don't get to agree to disagree and then spend the rest of your life fighting in contention over this or over that because it will always be brewing beneath the surface. So do you want to be right or do you want to be happy? You really need to ask yourself this question every day. How much fun really are you to live with? Right? I mean, I'm awesome. I'm a ball. It's a walking circus all the time. 
see here at church you got to be all holy and you know upright and clergy and all that not at all how much fun are you really to live with how much fun are you really to live with because your countenance affects the entire atmosphere of the home and you don't want to be that guy you don't want to be that dad and you don't want to be that mom don't you ever wonder what are my kids gonna say growing up was like with me in the house you ever wonder that are y'all with me do you not ever wonder, wonder what my kids are going to say about me as their dad when they turn 25 and they're out on their own and they can formulate their own thoughts and they have vocabulary to express how they felt. Are they going to, is it going to be the kind of environment where everybody has to walk on eggshells because they never know what's going to, ha what's going to hack dad off and they never know what's going to hack mom off? And is that, the kind of, is that the kind of environment we want to create? Do you want to be happy or do you want to be right? Because people that are right fighters are miserable miserable amen i know what i'm talking about if you don't believe it just write it down take a note set a reminder and in a year let it pop up and say right fighters are miserable there's an old book that came out years ago that said don't sweat the small stuff and it's all small stuff right I grew up in a home where my, step, my stepdad, you could get beat one day for not cutting a light off. And then the next day, he'd make a joke and ask you politely to go cut the light off. Right? You'd get rebuked for one thing one day, and then he wouldn't even say a word to you about it the next day because it was unpredictable, and it was up and down, and it was, it was never any consistency, and there was never any trust because there was no consistency. And how much fun really are you to live with? Right? I know you think you're cute, but if we were to sit down with your spouse and ask them, what's it really like? Don't give me the church answer. What's it really like? What would they say? Because right fighters will be miserable their whole life. And they'll make everybody in their life miserable. Say, I knew you weren't going to like that one. Let me give you another one. I got a bunch of these. I'm about to, I'm about to shut up. Let me skip. Y'all okay? Is this helping anybody? Three people. Praise God. <laughs> let me hit on this one more time here's another one I told you <clears throat> never threaten divorce never go to bed angry never agree to disagree watch you gotta pre-decide you gotta build this wall around your life listen closely I know what I'm talking about on this particular point <laughs> don't know about the rest but <laughs> I'm guessing on all the other stuff I've experienced this first thing you got to make up in your mind. I'm never going to turn my heart away. Now, I'm not talking about you promising to God your spouse. You'll never have sex with somebody else. Although I do believe that is a good thing to do. Okay. <laughs> what I'm saying is, is it never starts there. It starts by somebody getting hurt. Wounded, offended, and the heart subtly turns away. The heart turns away. And at that moment, even though it's subtle and it's small, 
distance is created. There's a coldness that comes. There's a there's an unspoken wedge. You're not as close in unity as you want to be. Somebody's turned their heart away. And I promise you, whenever that happens, the enemy will make sure that somebody's there to make up for what you feel like you're lacking in your spouse. So when you turn your heart away, you have to be careful because that's when you start talking to people you shouldn't be talking to. And I'm not talking about boyfriend. I'm talking about friends. I'm talking about you start opening up the secret places of your own heart and it starts rolling out and the enemy will see to it that you have friends that will listen to all of that stuff and that will throw gas on the fire to the point that that distance keeps growing and growing and growing and growing to the point that when you finally sit down with the pastor and I ask you what's going on, you don't even know. You just give me something like, it don't feel the same. I'm just, I fell out of love. The Bible doesn't call you to fall in love. The Bible calls you to walk in love. Amen? You don't fall into it. You don't fall out. It's not a ditch. You don't fall in it and then roll out of it. You walk in love. <laughs> I fell in love. What, did you slip? <laughs> did you trip over something? And so when you turn that heart away, this is what happens. I've seen this countless times. You turn your heart away, and you will begin to invest your emotional, your emotional currency into somebody else. And when that happens, every time a heart that is turned away begins to look for solace in something other than their spouse, this is what happens. You open a window, and you just crack it. You don't sling it up. You just crack it. And there's a window open now for somebody other than your spouse to come in and meet that emotional need. And every time you open a window to them, you close the window to your spouse. It's a seesaw. It has to balance out because you only have so much emotional capacity. So every time you open it for them, you close it. And then your spouse tries to win your heart back and they buy you roses. So you're okay. That was kind of sweet. Right? And then they said something about your haircut, so you're like, oh, no, the devil. And then, and then you're all here, and you're all there, and you found that guy at work, and he really listens to you, and he's really into you, right, <laughs> for about five minutes. You open that, and you close that, till one day when you were standing at an altar weeping, being so in love, now you can't even stand the sight of each other. Why? Because you shut the window completely and locked it and opened it to somebody else. And it is very difficult, if not impossible, to come back. And it all begins by slightly turning your heart. So when I preach about being faithful in marriage, I don't just mean keep your zipper up. Although I do mean that. I don't just mean don't be alone with a, another woman that's not your spouse. Although I do mean that. It doesn't start there. It starts with a shift. Because of wound. Because of frustration. Because we don't know how to communicate. Because I like to be right. And you're on my nerves. Right? That's all right. You can, you can love them. You might not like them all the time. 
but you got to love them. You ever felt that way about your kids? I love you, but I don't like you right now. Don't act holy on me. Don't act holy on me. I love you and I'd die for you, but I'm not fixing you something to eat again. <laughs> but I'm not fixing another bowl. So take a bullet, but it ain't getting the chips off the cabinet. Ain't happening. Y'all know what I'm talking about? So funny. Let me turn that heart away. That's where unfaithfulness begins. That's where it begins. Today's seed becomes tomorrow's bondage. That's why you got to make sure that your garden stays protected and cultivated. That's why it's good for you, even if your marriage is doing well, for you and your spouse to get away and talk about it. How are we? I know you've been married to me for 14 years. I want to make sure you want to be married to me for the next 14 years. Okay? Where do we need to grow? Where do we need to change? And I'm going to open this door for you to complain and say everything you need to say, and I'm not going to give you retribution in return. And then I'm going to have my time to speak of my peace. This is how you know what's coming at my house. Now, honey, I love you. More than life. But if you do that again, I'm going to smother you with a pillow at night. That's how I hear it, right? That's how it comes my way, the threats of violence. If you turn your heart away, you're opening the windows. It's a funny place to be when you're torn between two affections. When I've got windows open to two people, I don't know what to do about it. There's so much I like about them, my spouse, but then there's so much I like about them, mainly because they're not my spouse. They're nothing like them. And you have this uncanny ability to see everything in them that is glaringly missing in your spouse. And you have these windows open. And even though you've not went the distance, you've opened your heart. And now you have no walls. And the enemy can traffic in and out at will. Because you didn't pre-decide, no matter what, I'm not going there. No matter what. If I can't talk to you, and I can't talk to a counselor, and I can't talk to a pastor, then I will just have to talk to God. But other than that, I'm not turning away. Are you with me? I've got a bunch more. I'm not going to go there with you. Ben, you guys can come on up. Can I give you one more real quick? This is something I had to learn uh, myself. I guess it's just because of my personality or, or the way I think. My, I, I'm the kind of personality that no matter what it is, I have to do it first. Like if, a, if my wife gets a new phone, I have to open it. Y'all know what I mean? Anybody in here like that? Me and Mary. Will, you like that? Wes, right. I'm telling you, if a package comes to the house and it's not mine, I got to open it. <laughs> we bought, when my daughter was six, you know what she wanted for Christmas? A sewing machine. I had to use it first. 
Where's my wife at? Lindsay, where yet? Is it true? I don't know. Yeah, she, she's rolling around. It's true. I, I had, to, had to put it together, and I had to do it first. And I was like, okay, go ahead. It's, it's a dysfunction. I don't, I don't know what it is. It's dysfunctional. I'm, I'm aware. Okay. <laughs> no matter what it is. And so I had to learn this the hard way. I had to learn that <clears throat> the most important thing in my marriage is not being right. The most important thing in my marriage is that I make sure that I never violate our agreement. This is what I mean. I never violate our agreement. That's what I'm saying. My, my personality has a tendency to be naturally dominant, right? Plus, being a preacher, everything's a sermon all the time. Everything's a, a case. Build a case as to why you don't need to leave the water running when you brush your teeth. Right? Y'all know what I'm talking about? Turn the water off. That was six cents that just went down the drain, cut the water off, trying to send the kids to college, and there it goes, down the drain. <laughs> so I had, to, I had to make up in my mind, I had this tendency to just make decisions, just this is what we're doing. This is what we're doing. This is the way it is. We're moving forward. This is what it is. This is what it is. And that is a, that is a level of dominance that's unhealthy. This is what I'm trying to say. I, I'm, I'm all over the place with it. Listen. Always make decisions together. Your spouse, no matter how frustrating it might be, no matter you already know what they think and what they're going to say, they get a vote too. And their vote counts just as much as your vote. You never get to violate the dignity of us doing this together. I remember we lived in Hamilton, Alabama. I was in prayer in my, in my study at home on our beautiful farm that we loved. And God was speaking to me and dealing with me. And I went and I told Lindsay and I said, look, I think we're supposed to move to Knoxville and plant a church. If she would have looked at me and said, no, then it's over. Conversation's over. I'm not going to manipulate you. I'm not going to nag you. I'm not going to go to God and ask him to change you. And call it intercession and prayer. If you say no, it's a no. If you say yes and I say yes, we'll do it. In marriage, the one that is the most scared wins. If I want to buy something and she don't, no. She wants to buy something and I don't? Yes, I'm teasing. I'm teasing. I'm actually the spender at home. She's not. She's the saver. Because we have to make decisions together. We have to have two yeses before we move forward. If it's a yes and a no, then the answer is no. No matter how bad I want it, no matter how bad I want it, please, I need it. No matter how bad I want it. What I want more is for us to stay in agreement and harmony. More than I want that thing, I want to make sure I never violate this. You hearing what I'm saying? 
And when there's not that kind of communication, that's why I believe it's so important in marriage for your money to be combined. Because it forces you to talk. Oh, man. It forces you to work it out. It forces you. You don't get to spend money, then hide it. Dang, it's getting thick. Already with the altar call, we're at the end. Hanging it with the end. We're going to do this together. If I want to buy it, if I tell you I need it and you say no, that's the answer. But no matter what, we're going to do this together. That's a wall that you better build around your relationship. You hearing me? Are you hearing me, church? Stand up on your feet. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you enjoyed this podcast and would like to give, please visit hopeunlimited.church slash give. To stay connected, follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Hope Unlimited Church.